of you have a nativity scene like the one sitting in front of me at your house? Yeah, I mean, my wife's raising her hand. I know that. I know you do. Uh, we have a bunch of these. Uh, we have a number of them. Um, I have a pretty nostalgic place for these in my heart, as I'm sure some of you do as well. Um, these were out at my house at Christmas time. Um, sometimes, depending on which side of the family I was with, uh, baby Jesus was missing until Christmas Eve, because that's a whole thing. I could tell you about that story later. Um, but as a kid, my mom had these around the house. Um, and I have a couple in my house that have been passed down to me that I hope to pass down uh, as well. Uh, probably not the Fisher-Price Little People version of the nativity that we have, but we have some that are really precious to us um, that are uh, passed down. And so um, I noticed that one of the things that these nativity scenes have in common is that they all portray this image of this moment at Christmas uh, as a really sanitized, kind of over-romanticized moment, right? Um, I get why we do this, right? Marketing. We got to sell nativity sets if we're going to make them. Uh, but for one, uh, nativity sets would be kind of weird if they were true. Um, but also in some sense, I think that the reason, one of the reasons why we do this is that this is how we sort of wish that all of life was. And even if you think about sort of the American version of Christmas with all that that means. Last night, Santa rode by on uh, the fire truck. That's pretty sanitized as well. It's all uh, pretty stuff. And that's because that's how we wish life really worked. Clean, cute, warm, cozy, right? Especially the last couple days, warm and cozy. Um, and so we have this cute little picture in our minds of what's happening in this story from the Bible. Mary and Joseph, they're all warm and cozy in their cute little barn with the friendly little animals who don't actually act like animals, but act like people kind of because they're nice, right? And they're just friendly. They're looking on in amazement. But we all know that this isn't the reality of life in general, and it's definitely not the reality of this story. Um, we could get into the nitty gritty of what actually was an inn. It probably wasn't a hotel. It was probably a family member's extra room that was full, so they had to spend time in the manger, right? This story is gritty and it's grimy, and I like that because that's how life actually is. Life isn't neat and clean. It's not a fairy tale. It's real life, and I think it's important that we set up the characters that we're going to look at tonight in this way. We're going to look at the angels and the shepherds. Obviously, we're going to look at Jesus He's kind of the center of everything we're doing, but for tonight, we're going to focus in also on the angels and the shepherds. Now, just a few moments ago, we heard and read the story from the Gospel of Luke, and so I'm not going to go over the entire story again, but I do just want to remind you of where we're at in that story, in case it's not familiar to you or maybe you've never heard it before. Uh, that particular text has special meaning to me because as a boy, uh, probably about eight years old, I stood, in, stood up in front of a church very much like this one. Uh, I had memorized that entire passage, Luke 1 through 2, 1 through 20. And on the way to church that night, which was probably a 25-minute drive, I forgot my shoes. So I got to stand up in front of my whole church in my sock feet and deliver that message. So it's, it's always nostalgic, that, uh, that story. So what we have is a real historical bunch of figures, right? We've got a real historical Roman Caesar. Uh, if you want a little tidbit of a reason why the Bible is trustworthy, it's because myths don't name real people and places and times like the Bible does. The Bible's naming a real historical figure. Remember that name, Quirinius, that we practice? That's a real guy at a real time in a real place. And so this is how Mary and Joseph, Jesus' earthly parents, end up in Bethlehem. He says, I want to take a census. This is a power move. I want to know how powerful I am. 
And so they go there, they register in Joseph's town of his lineage, and while they're there, right, Mary gives birth to Jesus. Uh, and, and just in case you weren't aware that Jesus isn't coming into the world as a king, the Bible makes sure that you hear that Mary and Joseph are of such poor, low status that they can't really even find a room to have this baby in. Okay, and so they end up pretty much in a barn, in a stable, and Mary gives birth and wraps Jesus in a manger, which is a feeding trough. Now, I was at Tractor Supply for the last couple days, making trips there, and they got feeding troughs there. And I can't imagine putting a newborn infant baby in one of those that's been used, right? Not a clean one from Tractor Supply, a used one, in the middle of the outside. That's just not what we think of. But this is where we are, and this is where we want to pick up the story of the angels and the shepherds, okay? So I'm going to read a little bit more from that same story, and then we'll kind of dive into it. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. How many of you, when you hear this text, hear Charlie Brown reading it? Me. I do, for sure. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, I just want to stop there. All the people is you and I in this room. Good news of great joy for you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, Angels praising God and saying, Gloria in excelsis Deo, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, let's really get into the fullness of the story, right? And, and to do that, we need to talk about who are these shepherds? Who are they societally, culturally? In this day and time, the vocation of shepherd was seen as the lowest of the low, and so shepherds in this day were nomads, and they were generally not trusted. Unfortunately, throughout the history of humanity, people that are outsiders are not trusted by other people that are insiders, right? And this is what these men are. They're seen kind of as men of ill repute. They're seen as kind of tricksters. They'll try to get one over on you. They are marginalized, and they're seen even as thieves. And so it's probably, it's likely that this reputation that they have is earned, this is an earned reputation. Uh, maybe they had given themselves over to the reputation that they already had when they became shepherds or were born into shepherding. And so they began to live this life of shrewd dealings and distrust. And so probably, if you're married, not the first group of people you think of as, hey, you know what would be great to show up and see my brand new baby in this different place that I'm not used to? A bunch of people I think of as thieves. Right? That's not how we would make the story work. But then in verse 9, we, we finally see a character enter the story that makes sense. If you're making up a story about the Son of God showing up, you probably would think, oh yeah, let's have some angels come and announce it. That makes sense. But have them show up in the sky where? I would probably think, let's have them show up in the sky to the king. So then the king could deliver the news and everyone would. But that's not what happens here. What happens? They show up in the sky to a bunch of low-life shepherds that nobody trusts. Why? Why? No one's going to believe a shepherd's story. Why would you do that? Well, I think it's because God does that because the, the might and the power of the good news of the gospel is seen all the more when it's entrusted to those who have no business with it. 
When the gospel of Jesus is entrusted to people who are not worthy of it, it has its own power and it's not in the power of those who are delivering it. So it's no different for you and I. We are like the shepherds in this story. If you read this story and you're like, oh, I'm like the angels. No, you're like the shepherds in this story. We don't deserve to hear God's good news, and yet we do. We, we have tonight. We are right now. I just read it to you. Look, listen again to verse 10. Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, the chosen one, the Lord, the King of everything. So here's the good news that the shepherds heard. It's the same news for you and I today. Stop living into the fear and the brokenness that you've been living into. There is salvation that God has promised, and it's here. And it's been delivered in Jesus. There is a way to be saved. The Savior is not yourself. It is not Caesar. It is not any president that we might have or any government structure that we might have or any economic system. It is none of those things. There is a Savior He's a person. It's Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's the good news of great joy. But now the question is, is what are the shepherds going to do with this good news? Because when you hear this good news, you have to do something with it. You have to share it. You have to bottle it up and not share it. You have to reject it. You've got to do something with this good news. And so the answer to the question of what the shepherds do is important for us because it gives us a glimpse into how we should respond to the good news of Jesus. Here's verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. You know, that we're 2,000 years removed from being people who are wondering at what the news the shepherds delivered was. And then it says, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. So now let's make sure we get our mind, our head around the scene here again, right? You've got a group of people who are considered by their culture to be kind of untrustworthy, thieves, lowest of the low to people around them. These guys probably have done something to earn that kind of reputation, maybe at least once, maybe, maybe just once, and they should have been forgiven, but this is the reputation that they have. Maybe they've begun to kind of own some of those negative stereotypes about them. These are probably not, not guys with a ton of confidence and charisma, and yet the angel of the Lord breaks through the night sky into the middle of their little world and tells them the best news that has ever been delivered to anybody. And in case you're wondering, does the pastor really think angels showed up out of the sky? Yes, I do. I think that this happened for real, for real, right? Literally for real. This is the message about God's reconciliation in the world. They hear the same message that we still proclaim today. What's that message? You don't have to live in fear anymore. God is extending the offer of peace to you. There is someone who can save you. His name is Jesus and the offer is on the table to you today. That's the same message. And so there's two things happening in the shepherd's response to this good news that I just want to leave us with tonight. And they're both built on this. Again, the good news of the gospel of Jesus demands a response from us. 
The good news of Jesus will always demand a response. I would take you to the book of Acts and the Apostle Paul preaching and people have a response to it. We can celebrate it and embrace it or we can reject it, but there will always be a response to the good news of Jesus. So back to the scene with our shepherd friends, right? So now the angels have finished their singing. They've finished the last Gloria, Gloria, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. I don't think they really spoke Latin, but that's the translation. And they go back up into heaven and everything what? These are shepherds out in the middle of a field. Everything, it's just quiet again, except for the sound of sheep. No more singing from heaven. And now we see the shepherds decide that this good news is just too good to do nothing with. And so they decide they're going to go and see this thing the angels told them about. And so the Bible says that they went with haste. They made, right away, they made haste to go and see this thing. And when they found baby Jesus, which they figured out who it was because of what the angels told them, right? It says they told anybody and everybody who would listen about the good news that they just heard from the angels and that people were in wonderment about all of this. And then look at verse 20. And I want you to see a pattern here for our own lives. Verse 20 says this. And the shepherds returned where? To the, to the, to the nothing of the dark field with the sheep. They returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. So here's the pattern that I think shows up in this story, and that's true all over the New Testament. It's true for us. Grown-ups, it's true for us. Boys and girls, this is true for you as well. We hear the good news about Jesus. Maybe we hear it in church. Maybe our friend tells us. Maybe we hear it in children's church. The good news kind of breaks into the middle of our life, in the middle of our, maybe our bad reputation, our brokenness, our loneliness, our fears, our anxiety. The good news of Jesus breaks through the night sky of those things. Step two, we respond to this good news. We find that the news about Jesus is true just as it had been told to us. And then most importantly, we find Jesus himself, right? Like the shepherds. And then what's the third movement in this? We return to our lives. We would consider them untrustworthy. Why would he do that? Well, it's pretty clear, if you understand the big picture of the Bible, that God wants to be sure that there's no question as to who is the power behind the good news. He wants to make sure that you don't mistake and think, oh, it was how witty I am when I told someone about Jesus. Oh, it's how nice I was to that person. Although those things are good, God wants to make sure that you understand that it's him alone who saves. He is not interested at all in sharing his glory for accomplishing his goal of reconciling all things to himself and conforming you to the image of his son. That's what God is about. This is the way that God has decided to see his good news spread. It's through ordinary people like you and me telling anyone and who will listen and living a life that makes sense out of what we tell people about the good news that we have told, that we've been told. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to have lights that go off on you. <laughs> you don't have to be anything other than a recipient yourself of the good news. That's what you have to be. To share the good news of Jesus, the requirement is that you have to have received the good news of Jesus. That's it. You aren't the power behind it anyways. So here's my question for us today. What, what if we trusted that God is actually the power behind the Christmas story? What if you, Christian, in this room, trusted that the people around you actually could get the power of God through your life and through your word to them? 
I think so many of us would say that we want to see God's power at work. We want to see people all around us experience love, joy, and peace. Like if, if maybe if you're watching online, if you're in this room and you're like, I'm not part of this Jesus thing, but somebody brought me. I just want to tell you the reason they brought you, the reason they're talking to you all the time about Jesus is because what they want for you is what they've experienced themselves. The love, the joy, and the peace that comes with following Jesus. So that's what we want for you. That's what God is inviting you into tonight. And so I'm hopeful that we see that the way that God shows off his power is by proclaiming, heralding, shouting the greatest news that's ever been given through a group of undeserving outcasts like shepherds and like you and me. So this is the story of Christmas, that God comes to us in our lowly state and then he entrusts us to share this good news with the waiting world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you come, that you are Emmanuel, you are God with us, that you put on flesh and you became one of us. Father, we, we thank you that because of Christmas, we have, a, we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus, you were tempted in every way like we are, and yet you were without sin. You showed us a new way to be human. And you filled us with your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what you are already at work doing in us, that you would empower us. But Holy Spirit, we also ask you that if there are those who are in this room who don't follow Jesus yet, who haven't made that decision for themselves, or those who are watching this online, maybe even at a later date, Holy Spirit, that you would move in the way that only you can move that you would soften hearts and open eyes to you, and that this good news would look like what it is, which is good to all of us who see it. We thank you again for our kids being with us. We thank you that we can spend this time together. And Jesus, we thank you again for drawing us into a family. You haven't left us as orphans, but you've made us a family. And we praise you for that this Christmas. We pray this in your name. Amen.